This podcast is a ministry of Trinity Baptist Church in Jonesboro, Tennessee. Trinity Baptist Church exists to exalt God in worship, to equip disciples, and to evangelize the lost. For more information about our church, just visit our website at trinity3e.org. Well, I've got a question for everybody to get the ball rolling today. It'll be kind of a fun little experiment. Where were you in 1999? 1999, right? Almost 25 years ago, right on the edge of Y2K, right? Remember that? Everybody was sort of nervous what was going to happen when all the computers went to double zero. Um, I was in my hometown of Seymour, Indiana, southern Indiana. I was 31 years old. I was relatively newly married, and I was kind of dipping my toe into prison ministry. I was attached to the local Gideon organization, and we were going to the local county jail, Jackson County Jail, and I had an opportunity to minister a little bit to those inmates there. And one of the guys that I used to do that with made the comment to me, you know, Eric, you could kind of go to the next level if you're interested and be a part of the Bill Glass Prison Ministry Organization because they go throughout all the country, they go to prisons, and they do kind of the same thing. And I thought, Okay, interesting. So I signed up, went through the process, and next thing I knew, I found myself on a bus with nine other men heading northeast for four hours to Chicago, to the Cook County Jail. And um, the way this was supposed to happen was that we were supposed to walk into the facility. It was about the the size of, of this auditorium, actually. There were tables, there were chairs. And on the far end of the room, there were a set of doors, and at the appointed time, the inmates were going to be let into that room. And we, were, we had about 15 or 20 minutes to just kind of make our introduction to them, kind of break the ice a little bit. And then there was going to be an announcement made. And at that time, one of the Bill Glass prison ministry people were going to stand up and, and kind of give their, their pitch, right? And part of that was going to include the gospel. And then after that was over... The inmates were going to be directed to we folk wearing the Bill Glass prison ministry shirts for whatever kind of conversation they wanted to have. And I thought to myself, before we were going to get on this bus and go up there, what am I going to do to break the ice with a bunch of hardened inmates for 15 or 20 minutes? I was a little nervous about that, just thinking about that. And so I thought, hey, I'm going to take a deck of cards. Because at the time, I was kind of into card tricks. I had a book teaching me how to do card tricks, and I thought, I'm going to do that. That'll be a great icebreaker if they'll let me bring this in. And they did let me bring it in. And so, at the appointed time, the inmates came in, I sat down, and I started to do these card tricks. And it worked perfectly. You know, one gentleman came over and sat down, and and I did a card trick with him, and he hollered over to one of his buddies, and next thing, two or three guys were there. And before long, I had about 10 to 15 guys standing around my table. We were laughing. We were doing card tricks. I was teaching them how to do some things. We had a great time. And then kind of right on schedule, there was an announcement. And the announcement was that there was some other issue that happened within the facility, and the inmates were going to be sent back to their prison cells. We Bill Glass people could find our way to the door and out to our bus because our day was over. And it wasn't until I got out onto the bus 
and had a chance to talk to the other nine guys that were with me, that I found out that all nine of those other men did share the gospel with somebody during that time. And me, I just played cards to make myself feel better. I felt about this big when that dawned on me what had happened. And that was a really long four-hour ride home because I felt um, like I'd let the Lord down. I felt shame. I felt guilt. I mean, this was my opportunity, right? And I didn't say a thing. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like God has given you an opportunity and you just, you just blew it, right? Um, you should have made that phone call maybe and you didn't. should have written that letter and you didn't. You felt that it was God impressing upon you maybe at a certain time that you needed to engage with somebody and you didn't do it. And now that opportunity is gone. It makes you feel bad. You know, I think there's a lot of Christian people, I think, that are stuck for one of two reasons. One whole group is stuck because of something like what I experienced. You tried it, and it didn't go well. And it stung a little bit, and that didn't feel good. And you're wounded from that experience or experiences, and you're just happy not to do that again. That's one group. And then I think there's another group that are just scared to even try right? Honestly, they're just scared. They're fearful. You know, what do I say? What do I say? And if I do say this, what, if, what are they going to say? And am I prepared for the myriad of, of responses that I can get? And the answer is no, because I kind of read my Bible. I know my Bible some, but man, I don't think I know it that well. Not enough to do that. And so fear keeps those people out. And so there's this giant group of people that are on the sidelines for one reason or another. And I think wrongly so. Because I think they have missed the very heart of God. And if they knew the heart of God and really could get a hold of it, I think they would be free of the stuff that is burdening them down. And that's what we're going to spend our time talking about today is what is the heart of God? And the way we're going to do it is we're going to look back at the apostles. We're going to look back at the Gospels, and we're going to watch these men trip and fall and stumble, and, and we're going to watch it to see how Jesus handles them because it's remarkable. It is remarkable, and I think it will be freeing. And so I'm going to start where Jesus started. I'm going to start at the very beginning. There was an event that happened that Peter and Andrew and James and John all came on board in one day. And we have that event recorded for us in Matthew, in Mark, and in Luke. And when you read it, at first reading, you're thinking, this doesn't quite sound like I have the whole story. And what I mean by that is, here's how it reads. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting the net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Jesus said, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And at once, they left their nets and followed him. Seems a little too easy. <laughs> Mark's gospel records that almost the exact same way. 
And when I read that, I'm thinking, there's something missing. And it was so interesting because my daughter, my oldest daughter was 10. I would read through the Gospels to her kind of as bedtime stories, right? To help her get familiar with these stories, help me be able to teach her about God. And we read this story. And when I was preparing for this message, I remembered this moment. It was great. And I read this story to her. And she said, that's all he said was just follow me. And they went, wow, he must have had a really pretty robe. And, and I'm like, yeah, like, really? Come on. And it's not until we get to Luke that we find out the rest of the story. And the rest of the story is that Jesus is teaching. He's by the Sea of Galilee, and he's teaching. And people are coming, and people are coming, and people are coming. And Jesus is running out of room. He's backing up. He's near the water. And he looks over, and he sees a boat. He sees Peter, and basically, hey, Peter, can I hop in your boat? Peter says, sure, hop on in. He gets in. Peter gets in. They push back from the shore, and now Jesus is teaching from the boat to the people on the shore until he's done teaching. And then he looks at Peter, and he says, hey, Peter, why don't you put out into the deep water? Let your nets down for a catch. And Peter says, are you sure about that? What he actually says was, Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I'll let down the nets. Now, parents in the room, you ever gotten a because I said so from your kids? What kind of attitude is that, right? Basically, what Peter is saying is, come on, Jesus, <laughs> I'm the professional fisherman, and I've been fishing when fishermen are supposed to fish all night long. We haven't caught a thing. Are you sure you want me to do this? He's a little skeptical, probably a little irritated. He's incredulous. And in the face of all of that, we know what happens. He does let down the net. There is a miracle, a miraculous catch of fish. The boat starts to sink. John and James come over with their dad to try to help everything happen. And Peter is struck with how he felt. And he goes to Jesus, he falls on his knees, and he says, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. What was sinful about what Peter did? He didn't do anything sinful. What was sinful was in here, and Peter knew it, and so did Jesus. And what was Jesus' response? He looks at Peter and he says, Don't fear. I know what's happening all around you is kind of frightening, frightening. We're starting to sink a little bit. Don't fear. Don't worry about it. Such a kind of a, reaches out to his humanity, and he says, hey, from now on, you're going to follow men, or you're going to catch men. Follow me. Follow me. Such acceptance, such a focus on the future. It's amazing. And then we get Nathaniel. We get a story of Nathaniel, and Nathaniel's situation is Nathaniel's buddy was Philip, and Philip was from the same hometown as Peter and Andrew. And so, of course, Philip has heard what's going on because through Peter and Andrew. And so, just a few verses earlier, Jesus calls Philip to be a part of the gang, and Philip goes. And so, Philip runs to his buddy Nathaniel, and he says, Nathaniel, we, I think, have found the guy that the Old Testament's talking about, Jesus of Nazareth, you need to come. And remember what Nathaniel's response was? This was his response. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? What kind of heart is coming out of Nathaniel? I mean, if, 
If Chris were to come to me after the service and say, hey, Eric, you know what, my family, we'd love to take you out to lunch. Why don't you come with us? We're going to go to Kingsport. And I said, Kingsport? Why do you want to go there? It stinks there. We call it Stinkport. Why do you want to go there? There's nothing wrong with Kingsport. What's wrong was, is in here with me. And that's what's going on with Nathaniel. It's a very prejudiced, racially motivated statement. It's mocking. It's demeaning. So anyway, he gets up with, with Philip and they go. And he sees Jesus. And when Jesus sees Nathaniel, he says, well, looky there. An Israelite. There's no deceit in you. And Nathanael says, how do you know me? And Jesus said, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Mm. And if you're Nathanael, you feel like you just got hit in the stomach. Because what Nathanael's thinking is, okay, you knew where I was, and you knew who came to see me. My guess is you probably know what I said. Uh-oh. And what's Jesus do to Nathaniel? In the face of all of that in him, his gracious, understanding response is, come on, I know all about that. You just come with me. And Nathaniel does. It's amazing. And then we get this situation with this demon-possessed boy. There's a big crowd around. You've got a father who's got a son who's, who's having a major problem. And um, he's trying to get it fixed. And here's the way we are told the story. So there was a man in the crowd, and he answered, Teacher, speaking to Jesus, I brought you my son, who is possessed by a spirit and has robbed him of his speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him onto the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. So Jesus heals the boy. And then we're told a little bit later in the text that after Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, interesting, privately, why couldn't we drive it out? Why did they come to him privately? Because they'd just been publicly humiliated, right? Big crowd around, father's desperate, comes to the disciples, guys, can you solve this problem? And they tried, and they can't solve the problem. And they feel about this big. And so they go to Jesus privately. What's the deal? And Jesus says, guys, this kind can only come out with prayer. So what's the implication? You didn't pray. Oh, man, we didn't pray. Andrew, write that down. We got to pray. Next time, we got to pray. We got to remember to pray. Wow. Jesus' response in, in their embarrassed, frustrating, confused state is helpful, <laughs> instructive, patient, kind, amazing. And then you have Thomas. We know him as Doubting Thomas. And we read this story in the book of John. I love the story of Thomas. I'm glad this story is in here. On the evening of the first day of the week, Sunday, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, why, right? Because Jesus had just been crucified, and they are following Jesus. And so if you're the group 
that's following the leader and the leader gets publicly executed, you're a little nervous. And you're going to do exactly what these guys did, which is you're going to hunker down, you're going to lock all the doors, and you're going to hope they don't find us. And that's exactly what's going on. And then Jesus showed up, came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Can you imagine the moment? Can you imagine? Well, we're told a little bit later that Thomas, of course, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, hey, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I'm not going to believe it. And I don't blame him. I'm, I'm just like him. I'm a Thomas. I know myself well enough to know that if one of my friends came to me and said, hey, we just saw the Lord, I would say, but he's dead. Well, no, he's not. He showed up and he showed us his hands and his feet and his side. And I would say, I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't know. You know, if I get the, the same opportunity that you got, because that's all that Thomas is asking. Thomas is asking for the same exact experience that these guys just had. That's all he's asking for. I, boy, I would really like to see that for myself. So what does Jesus do for this young man who is doubting, a little unsure? We're told that a week later, the disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. And, through the door, and though the doors were locked again, Jesus came again and stood among them and said again, peace be with you. And then he looked at Thomas and he said, come here and put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put, put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Stop doubting and believe. Or his response was gracious, patient, accommodating. Thomas, I know all about what you're going through, and I'm going to give you exactly what you need. Amazing. And then we have a story of John the Baptist, right? John the Baptist, whose very existence was to proclaim the coming of the good news, coming of the kingdom. And he did that. He did that perfectly. And he was out in the wilderness. He had a giant follower of people, or followers of people. And, he was, and they, all the time, they would be asking him, are you the guy? Are you the guy? And he would be like, no, I'm not the guy. I'm not the guy. But somebody is coming whose sandals I'm not even fit to untie. And then one day, one day, Jesus shows up on the scene. You remember the story. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him, and John said probably in a loud voice, look, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And everybody would have looked. And you could have heard a pin drop or a rock drop. They're in the middle of the desert, right? A rock drop. Amazing moment, amazing clarity from John's perspective. And then of course, he baptizes Jesus, and we, we get this. Then John gave us this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him, and I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. Amazing clarity and boldness to make that declaration.
Then we know the story, right? John makes the wrong comment to the wrong person, gets himself thrown in jail. And it's not looking too good for John. And he's sitting there alone, and he starts wondering to himself, I wonder if I got this right. I wonder if Jesus is the right guy. So a couple of his buddies come to him and tell him what Jesus is doing, and, and John has a request. And he tells his buddies this. He said, can you do me a favor? I need you to go back to Jesus, and I need you to ask him if he's the one that we should be expecting. Or should we be expecting somebody else? What? I mean, I, I, I imagine if I was there, if I was one of the buddies, I'd be like, are you kidding me? John, you hear yourself? I mean, you're the guy that told us it was him. You're the guy that stood up in front of everybody and said, look, you know, I know the, who this is. And now you want us to go back and ask Jesus if, if, we're, if he's right? Oh, man. And, and so they leave. They leave to go find Jesus. What is going on with John? The same thing that goes on with you and the same thing that goes on with me. When we are by ourselves and bad things that we can't explain start to happen to us, we wonder, where's God? Lost your job? No fault of your own? Showing up every day doing your, doing your work? I don't know why that happened. Somebody you know gets a, a bad diagnosis and it doesn't look good for them. Why did that happen? Where's God? That's what's happening to John. Perfectly human. Perfectly real. And what does Jesus do, right? So the guys show up, they find Jesus, they tell Jesus the situation. And Jesus says, I'll tell you what. Go back and tell John what you've seen and heard. And we know how the rest of the verse goes. The dead are raised. The blind are given their sight. The deaf here, you just go tell him what's happening to put his heart at ease. And you can almost see the scene because there were other people there, right? So these guys, I'm sure, leave. And I'm sure everybody else is sitting there thinking, oh, my gosh, I can't believe John asked that of Jesus. What does Jesus think of John? And Jesus turns around and he addresses the crowd and he says, you want to know what I think of John? I'll tell you what I think of John. I tell you, among those born of women, there is nobody greater than John. Wow. Really? Yeah. In the face of the doubts, in the face of this, this rock of a person who is on the downward slide, I tell you, it's okay. There's nobody greater than John. Such compassion and understanding and assurance. It's amazing. It's amazing, the heart of God. And then we get to Peter. Of course, we know the story of Peter. Peter is passionate. He's intense. He's bold. Got a lot of great personality traits that's going to help Jesus down the road. But there was a time that he was boastful, and he didn't know what was coming his way. And we find ourselves in the upper room, the Last Supper, and Jesus is talking to the guys, and he said, Hey, look, I'm going to tell you the truth. Everybody's going to fall away from me tonight. Just giving you a heads up. And Peter stands up and he says, no, 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 not me. Everybody else is going to fall away, Jesus, but not me. And so Jesus makes it real clear to Peter. 
the situation. And he says, no, Peter, you too. As a matter of fact, before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. Peter, I promise you it's going to happen. And it did happen. And we know the story. Peter's sitting at the campfire. He's warming himself. He gets accused of being one of Jesus' followers. He denies it. He denies it three times, and he hears the cock crow, and he is crushed. He runs out, weeping, we're told, bitterly. And then, plot, ch- uh, plot change for Peter, because Jesus is convicted. He's led immediately out and executed, and he's dead, and he's buried, and Jesus, or Peter is stuck with that situation. He doesn't have an opportunity to go to Jesus and explain himself. He doesn't have an opportunity to ask for forgiveness. He's just stuck. Which is why when Christ is resurrected and he sees the women in the garden, he tells them, hey, I want you to go find my disciples and tell them to find me in Galilee and tell Peter. And you think to yourself, why the extra and Peter? Peter's one of the disciples. Wouldn't the, tell the disciples get it? Not the way Jesus wanted it gotten. I want the disciples to know and make sure Peter's there. Because I know that Peter is especially wounded. And I know Peter needs special handling. And I'm going to give that to him. So we know the story. Right back to the beginning for Peter. We're back at the Sea of Galilee. And they're fishing. And there's a miraculous catch of fish. Again. And Peter sees Jesus and recognizes him as the Lord and is like, there he is. I finally have my chance. He dives off the boat, swims to shore, we're told about 100 yards, gets to shore, and what does he find? Jesus has a charcoal fire waiting on him. Mm. If you're Peter, your heart's going to sink. You don't want to see that. It was around a fire like that that you denied the Lord. And there's the fire, and there's the Lord. And what's Jesus do? Have a seat. Have a seat. Let's have lunch. Wow. So Peter sits down, and then Jesus calls him Simon. Simon, son of John. And if you're Peter, that's like getting hit in the head with a two-by-four. Because, I mean, are you kidding me, Jesus? You're the one that changed my name to Peter. And now you're going back to the, the old name? What are you doing? I'll tell you what Jesus is doing. And what Jesus is doing here for Peter, you need to hear and I need to hear. What he's saying to Peter is, look, I know all about your past. I know all about your past and I'm comfortable with it. And I want you to be comfortable with it in my presence. It's okay. It's okay. And then they have this interchange, this love interchange. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. This three times back and forth. And a lot of people think that Jesus asked him that three times as a reminder of his three denials. I don't think that's the case. I think the fire was for that. I think there is something else going on here. And what's going on is super important. And you lose it totally in English. Because we just use the same word for love. But that's not the way Greek is. Greek has different words for love. And we're going to walk through this. And you're going to learn a little Greek today. And I'm going to help you. So that you can understand what's happening. There are four different words for love in the Greek. Eros, which is sexual love. Storge, which is the natural love between family members. There's phileo, 
which is the affection between friends that are based upon a common connection, a common emotional deep connection. And then there's agape. Agape is the love based on the highest level of esteem, and it's always expressed in action. So in John 3, 16, when we're told God so loved the world, that is agape that's used there. And what did God do? God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Action is involved. So we have this scene, and Jesus leans over to Peter, and he says, Peter, do you love me? What word did he use? He used this word. What word is this? Well, you have the what looks like an A, and it is an A. It's an alpha. That's an A. And then the next word that looks, or the letter looks like a Y is a lowercase gamma, which is a G. Then you have another A. So you have A, G, A. And then we all know pi from high school math class. That's a P. You've got the word agape. That's what Jesus is asking Peter. Peter, do you love me with a love that is going to do something for me? And Peter responds. He says, you know I love you. And he uses this word. It's a different word. What word is it? Well, that what looks like a P is the phi symbol. That's P-H. And the next letter is an I. So you have P-H-I. And then you have a lowercase lambda, which is an L. You've got the word phileo. Jesus hits him up here. You know, can you, can you, do you agape love me? And Peter comes in down here. I love you like a brother, Jesus. And then Jesus asks him a second time, Peter, do you love me? Back to the agape word. Peter responds a second time, Lord, you know I love you. Back to the phileo word. And then the third time Jesus asked Peter, he changes his word. And he uses the same word that Peter's been using. And then we're told in the scripture, after Jesus said the third time, do you love me? Peter was grieved. Why was Peter grieved? Because Jesus changed his word. He kind of, if you want to say, lowered where he was coming from. But in him doing that, folks, I want you to know it's a beautiful thing that Jesus is doing. It could not be handled any better because what Jesus is doing is meeting Peter where Peter is. And God will always meet us where we are, always. He doesn't leave us there, but he meets us there. And he doesn't leave Peter there either. Because the next statement that Jesus said is, Peter, there was a time you used to clothe yourself and go where you wanted to go. And there's going to be a time when other people are going to clothe you and take you where you don't want to go. When we're told in Scripture that he told Peter that to signify what kind of death he was going to glorify God. And when Peter heard that, that was the best news that he could have ever heard. Because what, Peter meant, what, what that meant to Peter was he was never going to deny the Lord again. And he never did. He never did. I want, I want us all to remember that God knows all about our humanity. He made us. He knows all about us. In the face of our doubts and fears and failures, he is understanding and compassionate, patient, gracious, and loving. And just like he told Peter, he could tell every one of us, I know you're going to fail. I know you're going to fail. But just like Peter, he tells us, I'm comfortable with that. 
I'm comfortable with your past, and you can be comfortable with it in my presence. Don't let them derail you because I'm never going to let them derail me from loving you. And that is the heart of our God. It's incredible. Tremendously encouraging. And I hope that that's encouraging for you today. It should be freeing. You should be able to shed your guilt and your shame and your disappointment and your bad memories and live into the life that Jesus wants us all to experience It's amazing. But there is another layer here. There's one more wrinkle, and that is that because God's never going to give up on us, we're not supposed to give up on other people. And you're saying, oh, Eric, I could have gone all day and had you not tell me that. And I'm sorry, but that is the truth and the reality. We've all been hurt by people, we've all been let down, we've all been betrayed. We've all been wounded, and we can think of people. We can see their faces. We know the moments, but they hurt us. And in the face of those deeply painful and wounding experiences, we can be the ones who are understanding and compassionate and patient and gracious and loving. That's what we're asked to do in the Scripture, right? As far as it depends upon you, Scripture says, Be at peace with all people. It's on us. My friends, that's the heart of God. And there is hope. There is hope for all of us. Amen. Amen. Won't you pray with me? Lord, as we wrap our heads around better, the depth of your love and acceptance of us in our humanity, in our brokenness, in our fallenness, Lord. May we be encouraged that it's okay. It's okay. You know all about it. You're comfortable with it. You're not disappointed or sidelined because of it. You are engaged with us, and you want us to be engaged with other people. Help us to do that. Help us to have eyes to see and ears to hear opportunities to be able to do that to your glory. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.